you see these commercials on TV, outsource HR. I just want to scream because you cannot outsource a people function. You can outsource the administrative part of payroll and benefits and things like that. But a true strategic people function can never be outsourced. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is Jerry Madria. She's the Chief People Officer at LiquidNet. Her title is perfectly fitting because she gets people. More importantly, she understands that people are different and attitudes can change over time and across various demographics. This leaves Jerry very open to change within the organization and being able to adapt as the world shifts. She says, being open to change is crucial for the HR space. What do you say we dive right in? Jerry Madria, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, carving out some time to spend with me today and to share your stories and let us get under the hood of uh, what you do, what you've done, and uh, just the industry in general. Thanks for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah. Would you mind sharing for those who don't know who you are an overview of your role and your background? Sure. Happy to. I'm the chief people officer at a company called LiquidNet, which is in the fintech space, which is pretty hot right now. I did not come out of school, graduate school, expecting to do this. I came out of graduate school with a master's in exercise physiology, and I did want to get into corporate America. My father was a white collar worker, and I just kind of liked that whole kind of vibe and what he did. But my undergrad and graduate degree was in biology and exercise science. So at that time, many, many years ago, the big thing was these on-site wellness centers and fitness centers. So I wanted to do that. I said, let me take this exercise science, my biology background, get a master's, which I did. And I started in fitness in corporations, came out east, which is where I basically have spent all my life. And I'm a true New Englander and love it out here and got a job as an internship was then hired to go to a company called Champion International, which was acquired by International Paper. But I hope to talk about what I learned at that company, but an amazing 17 years for me as my first job out of college. And I just built wellness centers, health and family services centers for this company. At that time, we were national, global wasn't the thing, but all over the country at their paper mills. And it wasn't kind of transformed that industry. So from that, I always reported into or around human resources. And I remember sitting 
in a meeting one day listening to the executive VP of human resources at the company. I said, you know what? I want that job one day because I liked the different aspects of the company that it touched. I liked that it was a blend of business and and uh, the human side of the business, so the, the P&L and the human side. So I set out on a course to take jobs to do that. And I deliberately put myself out there in terms of conferences I went to, people I networked with, and lo and behold, here I am. It's my third or fourth vice president level at this in human resources, but I've been with Liquid now about 13 years as your chief people officer. Interesting. Wow, what a great story. So you knew which is not many people did. It's great that you kind of had that vision and worked towards that. Um, yeah. And I didn't in school, Adam, right? And I didn't in high school and all my friends did, but it just kind of something clicked. And I said, yeah, you know what? I want to do that. That's fantastic. So it's interesting. Your title is chief people officer. Why not CHRO? Yeah. Why not? Why not VP of personnel? Why not just, you know, human resources? That's a great question, but I think it also speaks to This whole area is trying to find a place in the world, which it should definitely have. And I find myself feeling like I'm the foster child of the business colleagues, foster child in the boardroom, because it's not really valued even today. But chief people officer is much more commercial today. People get what you do. Human resources, I think, is a bit dated as is personnel. And and people right away, you see these commercials on TV, outsource HR. I just want to scream because you cannot outsource a people function. You can outsource the administrative part of payroll and benefits and things like that, but a true strategic people function can never be outsourced. So it's just a way I think, and it felt good for me and the culture of our company to call it the people function and the folks that work for me globally love it. When they tell people where they work, people seem to get it a little more readily and and it has more of a, it's more topical right? Mm. It's more relevant than human resources. I would agree. And now, did they embrace this or is it just something that now when people hear it, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. In terms of the name, Adam? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's so funny because when I first joined LiquidNet, when I was flying back from an offsite um, with the CEO who I reported to, I said, I don't want to call this function human resources. I don't like that. He goes, I don't either. What do you want to call it? So we went through a whole bunch of stuff. And then in the end, it's all about how engaged our employees are. So why don't we call this talent engagement? And that, so that was our name for probably 10 or 11 years. And then my team came to me because I had a lot of millennials and Gen Zs were coming in and they say, hey, we're kind of a cool place to work. And nobody really knows what we do when we say that's our department. So can we change it to people? And I said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. When I brought it to the executive committee, I didn't make a big deal out of it because it really doesn't, it shouldn't be, but they've adopted it. The company has, I mean, it's just, it's easy. It rolls off the tongue more easily. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it certainly is working for us. That's a beautiful thing. It seems to fit your personality too. <laughs> <laughs> Although Adam, I do have a sign in my office that says, do I look like a freaking people person? <laughs> which, which I did not give myself. Somebody gave it to me as a gift. And it's kind of funny. I have this kind of introvert, extrovert side to me. So uh, it's, uh, it's funny you'd say that. Well, tell me more about that. Tell me about that introvert. Are you what is is commonly known as like a, a, or maybe not commonly, but like a centrovert ambivert? Yeah, I think I am. If you, all those Myers-Briggs, I'm right in the middle when it says, are you an introvert or extrovert? But I definitely need 
Jerry time. You spend so much time in this role just giving, whether it's listening or talking or solving something. And you don't realize the mental energy and the physical energy that takes from you that I really need time just to chill and regroup. And I need that alone. And I need to meditate or walk or run or just be. I'm much better talking to a group without having to engage one-on-one with somebody because I find that really difficult. I never know what to talk about, Hmm. right? So it's, I love people. I value people, but I, none of my friends or family would say, oh yeah, she's like, wow, she's the life of the party and totally a people person. They wouldn't say that. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, you talked about some of the things that you do in your, in your downtime. Tell me about the last time you laughed. What made you laugh? Okay. The last time I laughed, I, and I actually thought about last night, we get all caught up in what's happening in the world today. And I find it frustrating when people say, I don't want to talk about it. How can we not talk about what is going on? It is impacting all of us, whether it's the pandemic or the politics or just the, the movement that is going on. If you're not engaged at some level, I don't know why you're even on this earth. But I decided last night I really couldn't read any more about it. I couldn't listen any more about it. So I turned on a rerun of Mike and Molly. And I was snorting with laughter. I don't know if you know what that TV show is, but it is just, and I don't watch TV like that, right? I'm always watching Law and Order or some documentary or some Netflix thing that I like it to be kind of heady. And But that, I, God, Adam, I was laughing out loud. It was hysterical. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of laughter, and uh, my kids have yeah. gotten us back into the office. I don't know if you ever saw that show, but it's about a paper company, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to some of that. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> excellent. Uh, tell me a habit that you have, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Habits I have: I need to exercise. I need to do something, or I my whole personality shifts. I'm sometimes to a fault a neatnik. I I need to put things away, things to be in their proper place. And when I'm cooking with somebody or family, my sisters who are amazing cooks, and and I am not, not like them, and (laughs) their kitchen turns into like you think you're in some five-star restaurant, but things are all over the place. I'm behind them cleaning up, which I didn't know they were going to use that spoon or bowl or that sauce again. I make them crazy, but I like things neat and orderly for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. I actually have noticed that that is there's been a common thread amongst the people that I've been speaking with in this space, the C-suite and the HR space. So I, I, I'm finding that level of OCD and lists seem to be very common. So I, I'm, Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know. I don't want to admit I'm OCD, but people would say, oh yeah, you are. And they say <laughs> I have a, a very short attention span, gotcha. which I disagree. I just like to get to the answer quicker. That's all. Interesting. So tell me something that most people don't know about you. Yeah, it's not a whole lot, but I, when I was a kid, my favorite sandwich was peanut butter and cucumber. I don't, don't laugh. You've got to try it. It's amazing. And my mother would, I mean, that comes from my mother. And so I remember though, one day in school, remember when you went to grade school, you'd exchange lunches or sandwiches or something. (laughs) And I unwittingly said, okay, I'll give you half of my sandwich for what you're eating. And I was so brutalized after that because kids go, I can't believe you eat this stuff. So I told my mom, never make it for me again. I'll eat it when I'm at home. But they're amazing sandwiches. You've got to try it. I'll try it. Yeah, I like both of like those. I like those. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like them individually. Why not? And yeah, peanut butter seems to go well with everything. So yeah, it does. It does. And the other thing is I would love to be a mystery writer. I love mystery stories. Ooh. Uh, have you read any good books, any good mysteries lately? Well, I do love John Grisham. He ties mm. mystery and law and all that yep. stuff together. So I've read a lot of his books. He cranks them out too. I don't know how. Yeah, he does. And, and sometimes he it's almost to the point where his endings are getting a little weak because I think he's trying to finish too quickly. Mm. So back to the world of HR for a minute. Something that I think is uh, you know very apropos for the times is change. There's so mm-hmm. much going on now and, and what hasn't happened, there's going to be things happening. This fourth right. industrial revolution and we've got COVID and there's all these different things that are becoming a perfect storm. Do you have a perspective on change and do you think it's important? And if so, why? I do. It's not so much change the way I think about it, but what we're living right now with the perfect storm of so many things happening at the same time. And I tell my team this always. There's a couple things I've given my hopefully good takeaways for folks that have worked for me in the past. Number one, add value, not noise. Mm -hmm. And I think HR has a tendency because there is so much very important administrivia that has to take place. that has to be incredibly precise because if you don't get it right, there's a lot of pain that's caused, right? Because it's all part of a larger ecosystem. And the other thing is to put things in context always and connect the dots for people. So what I am finding is that HR people in particular aren't typically very agile or innovative. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they're wired that way or the schooling that they get. But I always say, whiteboard it, start over. And even in this situation, we're having a conversation about flex time and our flex policy. What do we do when we go back to work? And I said, I think you need to think about what if we never go back to work? Mm. What if only 10% of the workforce ever goes back to an office? What do you need to do to keep that employee base engaged, measure their productivity, how do you recruit them? How do you train them? How do you retain them? Mm. So how do you keep get teams going? I mean, don't think it's going to go back because it's not. And I think this situation has forced change on us and is forcing everybody to think about how they might do things differently. And you have to, Adam. I mean, if you don't want to change, get out of the way because mm. you are going to get trampled and you're not going to survive. And it can be fun and it can be innovative. And it's important because it keeps your brain going. It keeps your juices flowing. It keeps you relevant. When I look at people who've been in, and this isn't a criticism, I actually admire them that have done the same job for 30 or 40 years. God bless them. God bless Mm. them. I mean, I couldn't do that, but I'm glad that they could because they were delivering things that I needed in my lifetime, right? So change is a positive thing. And if people don't get that and don't embrace it, then they're going to have a miserable existence. I agree. I mean, listen, it's what makes us human. Our ability to survive as a species is because of it's a result of change. Without change, there'd be no evolution. You have to be able to adapt. And like you said, to be agile and now more so than ever, a lot of people are fighting some of the technology that's out there in robotics and artificial intelligence, when in fact, that if you embrace it, will is going to afford you the ability to tap into more of your creativeness. You're right. I like that. It does tap 
a side of your brain that you haven't had to use before, right? And it is going to make whatever that output is of what you do in your day better and more scalable because we're global now. We're not just in a village, right? Everything we do has a connection much, much greater than we ever thought, certainly when I was growing up. So it forces you to solve problems in a way you never imagined. And that's really exciting. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Let's take it back to what you, when you talked about, we first started speaking about your original role in terms of like wellness, right? That's what you did. That's what you said you did. How do you see that now? Like getting back to the importance of health and wellness and benefits when it comes to organizations these days and everything that's going on? Well, one thing I can say for sure, and I I hope this isn't taken the wrong way, but oh my God, were we ahead of our time back then? Because what we did is what they're doing now. So nothing's new, which is so interesting to me because I have some folks, you know, on my team who do wellness. It's part of their job is the whole obviously benefits, but, but wellness and engaging employees and wellness activities and preventive stuff. And it's nothing new. The only thing that's new is they've got gadgets to do it with, right? Mm -hmm. And the participation rates are about the same still. You still have the same group of people that will participate in those that won't. And the thing that's really, really troubling to me is that mental health has not taken the... There's not the stigma that there used to be with an EAP. I agree. But people still aren't as open to taking advantage of those benefits as I think they they really haven't embraced the value and the power of those. So I find myself smiling that it hasn't really advanced that much, but happy that people continue to find the need to do it and, and certainly folks who are working. There needs to be a place for it in your work day. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's so important. And again, getting back to mental health, you know, so important, especially nowadays, there's this loneliness epidemic that was happening prior to COVID. And I think it's only going to become more exacerbated. Oh, now yeah. That, you know, now that people aren't, they're not with other people. They don't have that yeah. community because there's you know, all different types of loneliness. There's relationship, communal there's all different kinds and people aren't aware of that. And now it should be very interesting. Again, getting back, things are going to change. How are they going to adapt? How is this going to be? Are they going to be relying more on these benefits? There's a uh, big issues on the pharmacy side. The, yeah. These, the drugs that people are taking now for depression and all these other mental illnesses. And those are skyrocketing when, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, on that, I'm glad that they're taking care of themselves because there's a time when they didn't even do that. So that's okay. I think that hopefully the stigma will continue to go away with that, but it would be great if they were affordable and they were better understood. So there's a whole lot of education that needs to happen around that. Yeah. Agreed. So you embrace change. Are there any changes that you have implemented within the organization that you're proud of? I'm sure I have. I mean, every day we are rethinking, redoing, reevaluating how we, the products and services we deliver, right, Mm -hmm. to our customers, which we have too. We've got our internal, the employees, but we have the same customers as our salespeople because at the end of the day, if they're not getting the product or services they need from our people, then nobody's going to win. When you say, has there been a program I've implemented? We've done, you know, all the stuff that, that I think you would expect somebody to do at my level or a company that says that they are progressive. So we, 
we've certainly taken care of paternity and maternity and forms for individuals and chat room, all that stuff. But I think what I would say we do do very, very well is that we stay relevant and we continue to find ways to stay one step ahead of what the business might need. And to do that, you have to be always reevaluating, not necessarily changing things wholesale, but be willing to change things wholesale if you have to deliver the value. Mm. Tell me about Rise. So Rise is, Adam, I think people who know me know that I'm, I'm incredibly compassionate and thoughtful. And I, being a woman who's been in corporate America since out of graduate school, I have seen it all. There's things I can't personally relate to. But what I do know is that by just hiring a chief diversity officer or setting quotas for hiring or having X amount of women, make sure you do that so that you're compliant or that you're gonna, people are going to want to invest in you, is not how you solve the problem. Mm. Because it's not just a gender issue. It's not just a color issue. It's just not a sexuality issue. It is systemic in terms of creating a place that everybody, regardless of what you are, who you are, what you bring feels valued and important. So when I was trying to come up with a term for how I wanted to introduce diversity and inclusion, diversity, all that stuff, women in the workplace, have a response to hashtag me too. I remember I was sitting in my office and I started scribbling some words. I said, what do people really want? They want to be respected. They want to be included. They want to feel safe and they want to be empowered. So when I thought about that, that equals rise. So they want to work at a place or be in a community or in a family where they're respected, included, feel safe, and they're empowered. That's rise. And that becomes our platform and umbrella for addressing every issue we need to, want to, should be addressing when it comes to the human race in the workplace. So it's not just a female issue, or as I said, an issue of color, it impacts, it's not just an age issue. I mean, I find when I interview folks who are 60 or 25, they want the same thing in life. They want to feel respected, included, safe, and empowered. They want to feel like whoever they are, whether it's their gray hair and age and experience they bring to work, that they fit, that it works for them, not just the young 30-year-old who's got their whole life ahead of them. That's where Rise came. And when I introduced it to my team, they loved it. And it just gives us, you know, it's like, where do you begin now? So, but that becomes our mantra and our umbrella and platform. So it also, it goes to how we recruit, right? So getting different recruiting vendors that use different ways of recruiting. So we do get people who are diverse. How we interview the metrics we put in place for how long do people stay with us? How many women or minorities do we move through the system? How often are they promoted? How are they paid for like jobs? I mean, it also forces us to draw metrics out that I report to the senior team on a regular basis. This is how we're doing. It's not just male or female, but this is who we interviewed. This is who we promoted. I actually said to them, because we're at like a 75-25 male to female ratio at LiquidNet. And that's not a knock on them. I mean, technology and financial services are always much more male dominated. But so actually, I was going over the goals that we want to set for RISE for next year. 
And they said, you know, we want to have 25 or move the dial. I said, well, why don't we just say 50-50? Because we keep giving ourselves a pass because we're financial services and technology. Why do we do that? Why is that okay? No, 50-50, that's our goal. And until we're there, we haven't succeeded. And everything we do has to move us closer to hitting that metric. So that's RISE. And I can certainly talk more about the metrics and all that other stuff, but it's easily understood. And as I said, it gives us a platform to talk about, bring speakers in, speak to the workforce, design training, provide a dialogue and narrative from we are recruiting, going to campuses. Listen, these kids who are in school now expect that. This is not just, oh, you're different. No, they expect that. They expect every workplace to be respectful, inclusive, safe, and empowering, right? Because that's how they're living their lives. But they're walking into a very, it's becoming, it's stale. It's been stale. Hopefully it, it becomes unstale more quickly, but they're walking into a very stale institution. So the sooner we change, the better off everybody's going to be. So rise is embedded into the culture. Yeah, that's the plan. Yes, that it's how we behave. It's how we speak. And everybody has a part in creating a respectful, inclusive, safe, and empowering environment as a manager, as a colleague, as a coworker, whatever it is, right? You all have a part in each of those. Mm. So in speaking of culture, I'd love, I want to read a quote and I'd love to get you ascertain what it means to you. We're running out of time. So I got, I got, this is my last question for you. You ready? Yes. You don't change culture through emails and memos. You change it through relationships, one conversation at a time. What does that mean to you? That means it's not easy. It's something that you have got to commit to that takes time, that takes commitment, that takes you in it 100%. You can't do it by just setting off a tweet or an email. It has to embody you. You've got to own it. You've got to it's not easy. That's what it says to me. And you've got to, it's a huge, huge commitment and journey that is not, can't be solved with an email. Mm, that is a great interpretation. I like that. And I agree with you. I completely agree with you. You got to play the long game and you got to be committed. And I, I, I love the concept of rise. I uh, was that immediately when you came up with that, did it immediately, <laughs> did everybody, it was like a unanimous, like, yes, yeah. Yeah. They went, yes, that, oh my gosh, that works. That works. <laughs> That's great. And and from a recruiting tool, I mean, is that something that yeah. is something oh, like yes. when you are sitting down with people, you're telling that this is embedded yep. into the, the fiber of our culture. And yes. And, and when I meet with the, the interns, we have a great intern program. I talked to them about that. Yes. And, and we're not there yet, Adam. You know what I mean? It's not embedded the way I'd like it to be. And we'll never be there a hundred percent, but at least we know what the goal is, right? And we're yeah. putting things in place so it's not just a check the box. Yeah. This is like changing a culture. It's got to be part of your ethos. It has to be how you operate. I love it. Love the mission. Love your energy. Love your passion. And love the fact that you were able to carve out some time with me today. Well, thank you for uh, reaching out and asking me to. It's been a pleasure. It sure has. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, 
make it a great day and remember to always network wise.